really glad you're here today. I hope somebody has taken your seat that you normally sit in and you have had to sit in an unfamiliar and uncomfortable location and it has all your senses messed up and Jesus is good. He's good to us and his desire is to be good to others. I plan to write on the TV this morning, but once again, Katie Miller is running words, so that's questionable. We love you, Katie. Um, this morning, we're, we're going to continue our study on King David. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word, we're going to read the whole chapter together. The title of the series is The Sling and the Rock, and the title of the message this morning is, Ugh, I don't like it. Um, I've, I've been busy this week. So my prep time was kind of pushed to later on in the week. I actually started studying for the message on Sunday afternoon, though. I started looking at it and doing some, some research, and I did enough looking and research to find out that I didn't really want to preach this this morning. It's not a fun message. It's an extremely uncomfortable message and I did not write the first word of this message until Thursday at 10.48 a.m., which is unlike me. Um, I like to have it done by, you know, Monday morning at 10. I'm that type of guy. But I've been busy at the front part of the week, but I've also been dreading just putting it down because I don't, I don't like it. This is the David and Bathsheba passage. Other than David and Goliath, his encounter with Goliath, this may be the most other most famous passage about King David. And it hurts. It hurts to read. Uh, I'm nervous about preaching it, and I, I have written down five reasons uh, that I'm, I'm nervous, I'm struggling with this message this morning. And before I read a word out of the scripture, before I you know, give you my one observation, there's only one observation this morning, there's nine things that go along with it that we're going to run through, uh, I want to tell you why I'm dreading this message. Number one, this is not the actions of a perverted man. This is the actions of a godly man. A man after God's own heart. Did you, did you hear that? David is a, a man that the scriptures unashamedly declare as a man who has the heart of God. A, a heart like God. This isn't Adolf Hitler. It's not Pharaoh, it's not Herod, it's not one of the bad people in our world, 
This is the king of Israel who was a good and godly man, not declared by his friends, but, but, but declared by the scripture. I don't like that. I really don't like that. The reason I don't like that is because that means nobody in this room is, is, is uh, free to say, I'm better than that. This message means, this passage means, you can fall. This message means, this passage means, I can fall. And we live in this world where, where, you know, in our culture, in our, in our world right now, there are constantly things that we hear about and see and, 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 and people that we respect. And we, the next morning we wake up and we read an article that our favorite pastor at the biggest, Meth- uh, not Methodist church, but mega church, at the biggest mega church has had something go on with his secretary. And we're like, I thought he was a godly man. Hold up. Could have been. But godly men fall. The only hope is Jesus. Mega church pastors are not him. This pastor's not him. We've got some kids that come here and they call me Jesus. And I kind of relish in it. I'll be like, I walked on water to get here this morning. Um, I'm not Jesus. I can fall. I was studying this, this, this scripture. I was studying this scripture and I... You know, this is number two. Like I, I was, I was, I was walking through what happened, the scenarios that happened, and and I see myself in David. And you know, that's uncomfortable for me to say. My my parents are in the room. My wife is in the room. My children are in the room. My friends are in the room. And I don't like to say this, but when I was reading the scripture, I didn't say, "Oh man, David, you're terrible. How could you do that?" I was more saying. Oh, man. I see how that happened. Oh, God, don't put me in that circumstance. I, oh, I, don't, I don't really trust Dustin. I, I hate to disappoint you. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I'm preaching this once again from a place of struggle. I don't have this beat. I don't have this whipped. You cannot grow out of some temptations. You can't mature out of some temptations. Some of them always haunt you and follow you. And even in this area right here, I struggle. I wish I could tell you different. Like, I wish I could stand up here and say, Boy, I'll never fall. But this passage scared me to death. I don't want to fall, but if I'm not going to fall, I better have my face planted in who Jesus is. Not me. I want you to hear me say when I preach this message, 
It's not meant to be a harsh message. It's meant to be a message of love. My only glory is him. I'm not saying, man, I got this whipped. Third reason I'm bothered by having to preach this message this morning is a lot of us in this room have made mistakes like this and been a person who has sent out waves of hurt into our families. Some of us are in this room and we've done this very thing and we remember what we felt like, we remember what we did and and from this day forward, from, from this day, like David and Bathsheba's day forward, we have felt this guilt and this shame And it's hurt us, and we're wondering if we're qualified to serve again. How could Jesus ever forgive me? We're fighting this off daily. And I know that in messages like this, the enemy likes to tweet in our ear, you'll never make it. You did this. Go back into the darkness. Shrink into the shadows. That's not the way Jesus works. If you have repented of your sin, if you have been redeemed by Jesus, move forward in his grace and forgiveness and mercy. I believe, let me go ahead and say this, I believe David was a better man after this happened than he was before. I read the Psalms that he wrote and he he understood at this point that he was nothing but to be humble as a king. I need you, Jesus. I'm not whipping my enemies. You're whipping my enemies. I remember what happened, and I'm not going to let that just completely consume me, but I am going to cry out to you and say, you're the only thing good of me. Let this message, don't hear the enemy, let this message move you to worship that you have been redeemed, that you have been restored. In the blood of Jesus. Number four. There's some of us in this room. That have not been the hurter. You have been the hurt. In circumstances like this. And a lot of times when when somebody extends mercy to the hurter. The one that did the hurting. It feels like a shot at our pain. Like, it's like, well, what, what about me? They hurt me, and you're extending mercy to them, but what about me? What about my pain? You may be surprised at where I am on this. You may be surprised at the season of life that I'm walking through right now because uh, Beth has not stepped out on me. That, that hasn't happened But I am wrestling with some things. And sometimes the mercy of Jesus directed toward the person that has hurt you can feel like a shot at your pain. Catch that thought. That is not true. That is not the reality here. When that, when that starts slipping into your mind that I don't matter because mercy's going out to the one that has hurt me, Grab that thought captive. There's enough mercy in the heart of Jesus for everybody. For the one that has done the hurt and the one that is walking through the grief and the pain. 
Jesus never takes shot at, shots at people in pain. But sometimes we feel that. We need to grab that, whole, that, that thought captive. Sometimes these messages squeeze us. The enemy uses it to squeeze us both ways. If we've been hurt or if we've done the hurting. But friend, if you're filled with the Spirit this morning, if the, if the Lord has, spilled, uh, has filled you, when, when you're squeezed by the enemy, let it, let it pour out worship to King Jesus. Number five, I'm not so naive to think that there's no one in this room who is struggling with this very activity today. It's highly probable that someone in here has crossed the line right now and you're walking through this. I don't want you to misunderstand what I said in in number three. If you're unrepentant, and you feel a squeeze, that is not guilt or shame, that is conviction from Jesus. If you're being squeezed and you have not said, Jesus, I'm wrong, you're right, I repent, that is not from the enemy, that's from Jesus. The enemy's goal is to cripple a repentant person. Our Savior's goal is to redeem and restore them. There is a difference between guilt and shame and conviction. If you experience conviction from the scripture this morning, you need to repent. I don't want to soften this. I don't want to soften this too much. There are some of us that probably need to deal with some things this morning. Not just with the circumstance that David is in, but with all sin. Jesus doesn't want us to wreck our lives. He loves us too much. 2 Samuel 11. We're going to read it all, and then we're going to come back. In the spring, when kings march off to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hethite? David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I'm pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hethite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all the master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you... (coughs) Excuse me, y'all, sorry about that. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come home from a journey... Why didn't you go home? 
Uriah answered David, The ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, put Uriah on the front of the fiercest, fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hethite also died. Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. He commanded the messengers, When you finish telling the king all the details of the battle, if the king's anger gets stirred up and asks you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the top of the wall? At Thebes, who struck Abimelech, son of Jerubbasheth? you got to be careful with that, some of those. Didn't a woman drop an up? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the top of the wall so that he died? Why did you get so close to the wall? Then say your servant Uriah the Hethite is, also, is dead also. Then the messenger left. When he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had, Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger reported to David, The men gained the advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we counterattacked right up to the entrance of the city gate. However, the archers shot down on your servants from the top of the wall, and some of the king's servants died. Your servant Uriah the Hethite is also dead. David told the messengers, Say this to Joab, Don't let this matter upset you, because the sword devours devours all alike. Intensify your fight against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. When When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Let me pray for us. Father, I need your help this morning. Father, we need your help this morning. It breaks my soul to think that the enemy might use the words that I preach from your scripture to speak untruth in the ears of your people. And so I beg you to smash him. Make a way for your truth into our souls. All of our souls. This is not for them, this is for us. Create in us a clean heart, O God. That we may not sin... And that we can press your kingdom forward with clean hearts. Thank you for this. It's a story we can look to and say, don't do that. And I'm thankful it's David's life recorded in words and not Dustin's. In Jesus' name, amen.
One observation this morning. The enemy of our souls is crafty, but he is not creative. Dustin, what do you mean by that? You remember a few weeks ago, uh, I think I made the comment, I believe we serve this great big creative God that can have this church do this ministry and this church do this ministry and this church do this ministry and this church reach these people. I believe that we serve a God like that who is great, big, creative, huge, massive. He has gifted you in such a way that cannot be taught to you. Do you understand that? When the Spirit of God comes in and infiltrates your soul, He gifts you in a way that you can't be trained. It, it is a spiritual miracle. He comes into your soul and he, he gifts you in evangelism. You can take a bunch of evangelism classes, but ultimately the gift of evangelism comes from the Father through his Spirit. Super creative. He has made us like a body. Like um, There are some people that are the wrist and some people that are the hand and some people that are the arm and some people that are the foot. And then there's some armpits, but you know, we got, we got all this body working together. He's so creative to gift us in all these different ways and then put us together and say, go reach people in my name. But the enemy's not like that. He's sneaky, but his plan is the same today as it ever has been. His hope for you, his dream for you, his dream for me is the same that it was for David. Death, destruction, and the way he operates is the same. Same. He is not like God in that he is creative. Hey, let's come up with some new stuff for this new generation. Nah, we'll just stick with the same old plan. And it's found in 1 John chapter 2. I think it's up there, but you know Katie's running it, so um, playing Katie. For everything in the world, now, look, now check this out, y'all. Read this. Let this sink in. Everything in the world, there's three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Most versions say the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is the operation of the enemy. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Did you see that in David's story? Lust of the eyes, he saw her on the roof. We'll talk about that in a minute. Lust of the flesh, hey, come on over. Pride of life, oh, we're caught, but I don't want people to think bad of me. Let me shrink in the shadows. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Not a new thing even for David. In the garden, I want you to see this passage. In the garden of Eden, you with me? First people ever. Peep this. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Number one, that's not what God said. That was a twisted word from the enemy. 
He said you can eat from every tree, just not this one. But he twisted it. You see that? Did God say you can't have fun? God's wanting to starve you to death, isn't he? The woman said to the certain, we may, eat from the fr- we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, we cannot eat. God said you must not eat or touch it or you will die. No, you won't die, the certain said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Check this out. The woman saw, what's that? Lust of the eyes. That the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable from obtaining wisdom. That it was good for food, good to look at, and desirable from, for obtaining wisdom. Meaning I can have my own wisdom. I don't need to depend on God's anymore. Pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This is the same story. This is is the same story in our life. Every sin, every temptation can be filtered through these three things that the enemy is at work trying to do in you and me every single day of the week. He is not creative. The scripture records this to tell us this is the war that's coming at you. He is not going to change it. It will be this way a thousand years from now if Jesus doesn't come back between now and then. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Every one of us forevermore. Now real quick, I want us to walk through some things from the story we just read uh, that highlights some, some different things about our sin, some different things about our temptation, uh, some, di- some different tools that, so that we can know how the enemy comes at us, okay? Uh, number one, we're more vulnerable to sin in our boredom. We value margin here, meaning we value rest, but we do not value laziness. Okay, we value margin so that we can have space in our lives to do what Jesus calls us to do. You with me? There's a difference. What's the number one verse in this passage? In the season when the kings go to war, David didn't. Right? So he's got his men fighting out here for him, and he's chilling, walking on top of the house. When, when we are idle, when we are inward focused, when we are just chilling with, with absolutely nothing to do, you can know that is a time when we're vulnerable. When God has called us and we're working for the kingdom, we are serving the king, we are Involved in ministry and doing and, and performing our gifts in our community, rarely does somebody that's doing those things get caught up in these matters because they have something to do. They are focused. I'm not saying it can't happen, but surely we can agree we're more, more vulnerable. 
when we're idle. Number two, sin is not the same as simply being human. It's not the same thing. I want you to see something that's really important here. Verse 2. Look at your scripture. When one evening David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. Okay? He saw a woman bathing. That's human. Right? You, you see people. And sometimes you see things you don't want to see. But that's human. In, my, in the scripture that I look at, it says a very beautiful woman after that. Whose, whose Bible says, and then he beheld her? Anybody say that? Okay. Sorry. Um, that second part, the word there, when it says... A very beautiful woman is his seeing her had moved to beholding her. He's not just seeing her now. Now he's seeing her. You understand what I mean? Sometimes we get sin confused with what it means to be human. It is not sinful to be tempted and struggle. That is not sinful. I see more of Christ at work in a person when they do struggle. It is when you give yourself to it and you're not struggling anymore that it becomes sin. His best, David's best hope at catching this before it wrecked his life was between the saw and the beholding. This was his best shot. And he missed it. He saw. And then he gazed. Number three, we can never sin enough to keep us satisfied. At this time, at this point in David's story, dude has seven wives and ten concubines. Seven wives... And ten concubines. Now that's a message for another day in itself. But it's illogical to think that if I could just get this one, then I, that'll be enough. It hadn't been that way in the past. Friend, let me tell you something. When we begin a journey of sin and we start giving ourselves to our sin, it always takes steps. We always move forward and we never say, you know what, I think that's enough. I'm good now. We say, what's, what's next? What's the next thing? Wonder what that would feel like. Wonder what that would be like. When we have Jesus, it's different. Jesus completely satisfies. When I found Jesus, I didn't look, have to look for another king. 
He said, I'm all you need. Now that doesn't mean I've always lived that. But I'm not looking for anybody else. But that's not the way sin works. Sin says you have 17 women. Enough for twice a month for each one. You probably need that one that's taking a bath on a roof. Two. Number four. Jesus speaks to us even when we don't want to listen. Man, verse three. It's just the sweet voice of Jesus. Listen listen to this. So David sent someone to inquire about Bathsheba. And the one he sent said back to David, Isn't that Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah, (laughs) farmer, and wife of Uriah the Hethite? The guy that David sent responded to him and said, Brother, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. Don't do that. That's not just an object over there. That is somebody created in the image of God who bears the image of God. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. And not just anybody's wife, one of your 30 valiant men who fought with you on the battlefield. A best friend. Sometimes we don't want to listen. And sometimes we mute the voice of God in our life. But I promise you, when we are stepping towards sin, the sweet voice of Jesus is speaking to a believer saying, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. That's somebody's wife. That's somebody's kid. He's trying to remind him, how would you feel if somebody did this with your wife or your daughter? And he muted the voice. What about, what do you think it did to David? When, when he brought Uriah back and it was fixing to be part of the cover-up and he, he sent Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba. And Uriah said, man, the ark and the people are out there fighting. I'm sleeping outside. What do you think the integrity and the character of Uriah did to the soul of David? That was the sweet voice of Jesus saying, there are real and genuine people following me. Don't do this. You've already messed up. Don't do this. The sweet voice of Jesus is all through this story. And I promise you, if you're taking steps toward sin, the sweet voice of Jesus is speaking to your soul and you need to listen to what he's saying. Number five. Y'all, I'm nervous about this one. Sin is almost always a group effort. Somebody asked me this week, I was talking about this with somebody, and they said was, did Bathsheba do anything wrong? 
I was raised in a patriarchal type church where the choices, the sexual choices, wrong sexual choices of men acted out on girls or women were justified by what the women were wearing. That's a no-no. Men, let me tell you something. Our problem is our problem. You with me? We can see without gazing. We can't we have the we have the spirit of God in us. Our sins not anybody else's fault. But ladies, I I do think there are pockets of women that intentionally try to be sexualized in front of men. And in that case, I see that as just as evil or even more evil than what David did. There's nothing told in this story about rape, that he pushed himself on her. That's not mentioned. It probably would have been extremely bold and dangerous for her to tell him no as the king, but she could have. There have been women in the past who were bold and dangerous and said no. I expect women in the world to act like that, but I do not expect sisters to. You know what I mean? In the garden, when Cain sinned and God confronted him, he said, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that question is yes. We are our brother's keeper. We should care. I'm not blaming anything on you ladies. I am saying understand that we're broken and ugly. Are y'all mad at me? I love you. Beth, are you mad? I can't wait for trick or treat at Village Creek. <laughs> Number six. Real quick, the normal response to sin is isolation and stepping further further into the shadows. David sinned, he realized it, and he didn't say, let me come and confess in the light. He started backing more and more and deeper into the shadows. And that's what sin does to us. Number seven, sin makes us cold. This was a best friend. This was one of his 30 fighting men. He could see Bathsheba from his house because his Uriah's house was intentionally built close to King David's palace. There were no binoculars involved. This was a neighbor. He sends him out and Uriah dies, but if you catch it, it also said that more men besides Uriah died. Because they got too close to the battlefield. 
too, too close to the city, within, within archery distance, within woman throwing a rock on them distance. And people died. And it, came, it, it got back to David that Uriah had died and other men had died. And Joab's actually worried that David's going to be angry about it. But David says, people die. About your friend? About the warriors out there fighting for the country? People die. That's not David. He has sinned and it has pushed his heart to become cold. And friends, I have seen it so many times where there's a man and woman sitting in my office and she's crying her eyeballs out and her husband says, I don't want to upset her, but happens cold sin makes us cold the best of us cold where we can't feel the hurt of others and how it's hurting us number eight our sin always affects others Uriah died and word comes back and I wonder if David was expecting this but Bathsheba cried. I bet, I I wonder if that stunned David just a little. She wept. I bet he was thinking, well, it's, it's, it's over with now. No, sir. It's just beginning Number nine, our sin disrupts the relationship Jesus wants with us. When we sin, it doesn't mean we get lost again. But the last verse of this chapter is very important. When the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Doesn't mean you're lost again. Doesn't mean David, you know, didn't have a relationship with God anymore. But a veil dropped. Because God said that's evil. And I'm not with that. This is how sin works, friends. This is how the enemy works. And it's never going to change. You can take this to the bank tomorrow. All these things, or at least most of these things, are going to happen with whatever sin you're walking in right now. You may think you're doing it on your own. You may think it's a secret. But sin has a way of coming out and affecting our families and our friends. It's not just you. Two applications. Application for individuals. When we're tempted, think about how this is going to affect us and others. That's not original to me. When I was studying this, somebody else said, and I thought it needed to be brought out. When you're in that moment, maybe even make a list of what can happen if I do this. What could happen? 
I don't want to get gross. I don't want to get awkward. I'm really uncomfortable asking this question, but I want it to settle on you a little bit this morning. Do you think they had fun? David and Bathsheba, do you think they had fun that night? Don't answer, just think. It's awkward, isn't it? But they probably had fun. But David didn't think about the weeks and the years and the decades of hurt that would follow after the hour or two hours or three minutes of fun. Why is that funny? I told you I didn't want to get awkward. You know what I mean? Nobody asked themselves, what is, what is this going to do to us? Tell me some things. I'm not gonna, I was going to write it down, but I've kind of gotten into our time. I want to make it to trick or treat. Tell me some things. Tell me some things that can happen when we, when we make decisions, sinful decisions, when we choose sin. Tell me some things that can happen in our souls. Maybe it's not adultery. Maybe it's other things. But y'all tell me what can happen when we don't listen to God and we choose our sin. How can it affect us, huh? Shame. Embarrassment. Guilt. Huh? Consequence, struggle, trouble. I speak for a living, I don't hear. Dominoes, what? Depression, well that's a good one. Fear, anxiety, hard heart, huh? Struggle. Self-rebuke. How could I do that? Do I? Brokenness. Anxiety. Spiraling sin. Isolation from God. You know, our kids hear what we say, but they do what we do. I mean, I'm not saying that God can't intervene, but what we do affects them. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all, please, because we care for your soul and Jesus cares for your soul. When you are faced with this, not if you are faced with this, but when you're faced with this, think about what may happen. When and if you are found out, it ain't cool. Application for our church. 
as we experience this in others. What do we do when we see this happen among us or in our community? Micah 6, 8. Will you put that verse on the screen, please? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what, is the Lord, and, and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faith, faithfulness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is a good application for us in how to respond to people who are found in this. Number one is justice. Sometimes when people make a mistake, the church likes to jerk them out before the Lord is done saying what he needs to say to them. You with me? Sometimes we need to experience some justice. If you're hurting this morning, if you're in pain this morning because of a circumstance like this, our, this, this church that, that God has called us to lead, lead, we want to be just. We want to care for your pain as much as we extend mercy to the hurting or to the herder. But then there's love mercy. Did you know most people who have caused pain do not respond well with you sticking their fi- your finger in their chest and telling them how bad they've been? But by saying, no matter what, I'm going to love you, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to extend mercy to you. I know that without the Spirit of God, there's nothing that guards me from what you have done. And last thing, walk humbly. My dear friend, there is nobody in this room immune from the worst of sin. If you're looking at people who have made massive mistakes saying, I would never do that, you better watch out. That may be exactly what you do. Or worse... Love justice, seek justice, love mercy, and we're going to walk humbly because we all know we're all ugly. The last thing I want to share with you, and then we're done, I promise, Jesus is a better David. You know that? Jesus is a better David. David's not just pointing to Jesus. Jesus is a better one. Check this out. This is the temptation of Jesus from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. My goodness, if I fasted 40 minutes, I'm hungry. Beast mode. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Lust of the flesh. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will give his angels orders concerning you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Oh my goodness, I could jump off this building and everybody would see angels rescue me. And they would celebrate how awesome I am, proud of life. 
Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. My hope's in him. I trust him. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Lust of the eyes. And their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and began to serve him. Listen to me, y'all. David was faced, Adam and Eve were faced, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and they failed. And everybody else that led up to Jesus failed. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, they failed. And everybody after Jesus, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, they have failed. But Jesus didn't fail. He didn't fail. He didn't fall. He won. And because he won, I can simply put my hope in his victory to experience it myself. This morning, if you have made some really bad decisions, if you've caused a wake of horror to flash through your family, you got some working to do to fix things with them, but to fix things with Jesus, you put the one and you put your hope in the one who won the victory. He never failed. If you want to do that this morning, I'm going to step out in the lobby while we sing the last two songs. I can tell you how. Listen to me. Listen to me. You cannot earn it. You can't start not giving in to lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. You've already messed it up. You have to trust the one who has never messed it up. And I can help you. Father, we come to you this morning. And we ask that you have your way in souls. I believe that you have stomped out the lies of the enemy in our people's ears. And God, if he, if he begins to, to stick his nasty tongue out and, and, and share lies in the hearts of our people, will you please smoke him this afternoon? We don't want repentant people guilty. We don't want people that are struggling, struggling with bitterness, wondering why they're getting shot at by offering mercy to the person hurting. And we don't people, want people who are lost and don't know you to, to be okay. We want them to be convicted. We love you. We are in awe of you. I am wretched. And I come from a people who are wretched. And our only hope is the blood of the Lamb. Who has won. And in the name of the victor, King Jesus, we pray. Amen.